welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you all about strange things that have happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards and with me today is my co-host Barnaby King. Hello. Hello. And how are you today? I am all right. I am tired, but that is the natural state for both of us at the moment, so... Natural state for all of us, always. I think well, we should put true. it into just the introduction. <laughs> Welcome to that time when the tired, tired comedy history podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's your turn this week. We're getting back into the swing of things, aren't we? We are. Now, today I'm going to take you on a bit of a wild ride. Okay. And... <laughs> like Mr. Bones Wild, right? <laughs> yeah, you will want to get off at some point. Um, also, I wonder how many people actually get that reference. It's quite an old reference it's now. It's a very old meme. <laughs> I think it's literally people our age and maybe five years either side. Yeah, I, I think that maybe it's us and maybe like a few people we went to sick form with. Probably. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so this is going to be one of those episodes where this is as close to the actual story as I could get. Okay. There are details which have been widely reported in completely different ways. Ah, uh, yes. that's That that happens so often when we're trying to research stuff. Yeah, so I just wanted to give a little, you know, a little asterisk at the beginning of this one, a little caveat, yeah. which is, this is probably the history, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun story. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to take you back in time. It's 1951, the Korean War. Ah, I, I, I was about to try and do some sort of accent and then I got No, confused. don't do that. No, I wasn't going to do a Korean accent. I was going to try and do like a 1950s accent, except I realised halfway through, just when I went, rah, I was going to do a New York gangster accent. Yeah, that's off by like 20 years maybe. Anyway, yeah. okay. So, ah, also, it's <laughs> Also, this is a Canadian ship. Oh, okay. Okay. So, this is a Canadian ship making its way to Korea. They haven't got there yet. Okay. And Petty Officer Bob Horchin is working as a sick bay attendant on the HMCS Cayuga. 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 Ooh. Under the instruction of a man called Dr. Sear. Right. Who can see the future. Well, it's spelled C-Y-R. I think I'm pronouncing it oh. right. <laughs> okay. Unless wow. it's like a Welsh pronunciation and it's like Kerr. I don't know. <laughs> I have to admit, when you said Seer, I thought in my head, well, it's not actually going to be S-E-R. No. I thought it's like, it's probably going to be S-E-A-R. Never would I have thought it would be C-Y-R. Unless it's Kier? I don't know. I, I genuinely no don't know how to pronounce this Let's name. Let's go with Seer. Cool. So this is actually Apologies to any Sears, Kears, Sirs, Sirs. Yeah, apologies to Dr. Sear, possibly. <laughs> this is a great setup for Bob though, because he gets to take care of the day-to-day -day running of the sick bay, and there's really little interference from Dr. Sear. He doesn't really do very much, he lets Bob get on with everything. Right. And usually he just has to deal with like minor injuries and complaints. After all, it's a ship. Not much is going wrong at this point. I don't know. I think about the terror. Well, it's... A lot of doctoring was needed there. <laughs> it's a ship in the 1950s making its way from Canada to Korea with little interference. So twice as much lead in the food. I, I think much less lead, actually. <laughs> um, so he's having a great time. He's been given more responsibility. But all of this changes when the ship reaches Korea. And it gets approached by a Korean ship, which either has 16... Or three gravely injured men on board. 
Okay, right. I don't... I don't know. <laughs> it's three gravely injured men who are so gravely injured and in so many pieces, they appear to be 16 gravely injured men. This is what I mean when I said, like... <laughs> yeah. This is the main detail that first struck my eye in the story yeah um and then turned out to not be 16 but maybe three but maybe 16 <laughs> i do and one version of it just said a number wow i like the idea of like bringing these injured men aboard and it's just sort of like how many are there one two three uh, about 16 <laughs> yeah or like just some i don't know <laughs> So one of these men has a bullet to the chest and he needs, you know, like open chest surgery yeah. in order to survive. And one of them needs his leg amputated. Oh, damn. And Dr. Seer is obviously needed. Bob can't deal with this. Yeah. So they rush for Dr. Seer. Now, the conditions on board the ship are really not ideal. Okay. He doesn't even have the facilities to properly sterilize his equipment. Oh, God. Um, but nevertheless, Dr. Seer operates. <laughs> Right, yeah. And he successfully saves the lives of all three men. <laughs> all three Asterix men. All three or possibly 16 men. <laughs> um, although it is noted that he spent some time in his cabin before the operation started. Okay. Now, he receives a commendation for his work. Because, As you would do, yeah, yeah. This is quite amazing. And it makes it into the dispatches. And back in Canada... Dr. Sears' mother reads all about this amazing work that her son is doing. Aww. Which is really nice. Um, except that there's a problem. Okay. Because her son isn't in Korea. Right. The real Dr. Sear is actually still in Canada practicing medicine in New Brunswick. Right. Okay. So this doctor is not Dr. Sear. <laughs> okay. Who is he? Um, I will tell you in a bit. Oh, okay. So... She lets, you know, the army know, or the yeah. navy actually know, that this isn't... <laughs> she lets the army know, and they're like, why are you talking to us? <laughs> they're all like, we don't care. Um, she lets the navy know, and they let um, Captain... <laughs> you must speak to the people of the water. We are people of the land. <laughs> Honestly, there is actually a bit about the rivalry between the navy and army right at the end of my story, oh, really? by the way. Oh, awesome. Um, but yeah, like... She tells the Navy, I was getting confused because it's a war. That's fair. That's fair. So she phones up the people of the water. She phones up the water folks and... <laughs> the water tribe. <laughs> <laughs> what, the nomadic water tribe from, like, Avatar Legend of Aang? Yes, exactly. Water. Okay, cool. And they're all on their canoes. Yep. Um, anyway, she calls up the Navy and they let Captain James Plomer of the Kaguya know, or the Kyuga. I keep calling it Kaguya, but it, I know that's a <laughs> no, region that's, in that's like, a, that's It's a Japanese Tokyo, princess. It? <laughs> it's a Japanese princess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Kyuga, he gets notified that his ship's doctor is a fraud and he refuses to believe it. You just called it the Kyuga again. It is called the Kyuga. Oh, yes. Now I'm getting confused. <laughs> For God's sake. We'll get off. Shall we stop talking about this boat's name? Let's just call it the K-boat. No, no let's just call it either. the boat. Let's, we'll call it the boat. Okay. <laughs> he refuses to believe that his boat's doctor is a fraud because right. he has saved these men and it was practically impossible to do that. Yeah. But it turns out that not only is this man not Dr. Seer, um, he's not a trained surgeon at all. He's not even a man. 
He's several <laughs> mongooses. Well, he's not a trained surgeon. Uh, he's not really a trained doctor. Right. And he hasn't graduated university. Right. Is this why he left everything in charge of the petty officer? Yes. Amazing. His name was Ferdinand Waldo de Mara, who oh. will shorten down to Fred, as he did. That's a cracking name, It's though. a good name. De Waldo. Uh, Ferdinand Waldo, oh, Waldo de Mara. De Mara. And he had no qualifications. Right. I think he may have graduated high school. Right. Possibly. <laughs> um, but he was a dab and with a knife. Well, he had completed these surgeries by speed reading medical books in his cabin <laughs> directly beforehand. That's what he was doing. Oh, my God. Right? No. Yes. That <laughs> is what he did. The guide to open heart surgery. Yes. <laughs> he had apparently gone, okay... If I do as little cutting as possible yeah. and just do my best, <laughs> I'll make it. And he was right. Wow. That's amazing. I guess as well, if they did die, yeah. I, I guess it probably wasn't expected of him that they would have survived. I think like, definitely the open heart surgery guy, yeah. you're, not, you're not expecting no. that guy to survive. And also amputations, like it's... Yeah. It's it's not easy. No, <laughs> especially when it's like one surgeon apparently yeah. and his assistant on a boat with very few medical facilities. Yeah, it's not like that crazy surgeon uh, who. Oh, we haven't actually oh, talked about him. No, yet. we haven't. The guy who did. Ooh. How many did he do? Like seven surgeries at once or something? It was something ridiculous. You know them. <laughs> maybe after this one. Ooh, I'm looking for a topic for next week. This is true. Let's steal everything from Sawbones. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Okay, so this was not the first time that Fred had conned his way into a job. Oh, wow, okay. So I'm going to tell you his story. Yeah. It is bonkers. There's a lot of details. Okay. Okay, so in 1937, when he was 16 years old, yeah. he ran away from home and joined a community of Trappist monks by lying about his age. Okay. By lying about his age? Yes, because you're not allowed to join them when you're 16. I think you're supposed to join them when you're 18. Right. So he lied and said he was 18 and joined. Is that just because of all the beer they brew? <laughs> um, I think that's just... I think that's just a modern day thing. Like, <laughs> it, it would be weird to try and join a monastery. I guess you wouldn't let somebody join a monastery until you felt they were, you know, ready and mature enough to take on that expectation yes and in the modern day there are probably other reasons too oh probably um but the trappist monks took him in he stayed there for two years but they decided he lacked the right temperament for being a monk i think he may have broken some of the rules he was too radical he was too radical skateboarding through the monastery (laughs) well he was forced out yeah. And he joined the Brothers of Charity Children's Home in West Newbury, Massachusetts. Wow, that is the most generic name. There are a lot of generic Christian names in this story. <laughs> okay, excellent. And again, this wasn't the right fit. He broke some rules. Yeah. So he stole money and a car from the home and joined the army. Okay. And that also didn't work out for him. <laughs> At this point, he's like 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, so he stole the name of one of his army buddies. Wow, okay. Who was called Anthony Ignolia, and he went AWOL. Right. And during that time. <laughs> Anthony woke up and just was like, 
Who am I? <laughs> what is my name? <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that basically he then used that afterwards so that he wouldn't get picked up yeah. for desertion because this was during World War Two. Oh, right. Yeah. So during that time, he then tried to join another Trappist monastery. <laughs> wow. Okay. But... At some point, you've got to give up. Well... Like, it's clearly not for you. Yeah, I know. He just kept trying to... Jo- okay, this is the second Trappist monastery he's tried to join. Yeah. It is not the last. <laughs> he just, I think he just really wanted to be a monk. He did grow yeah. up in a Catholic family. And he, I think he had this idea that, you know, you've got to be quite respectful of monks. And I think he yeah, wanted that respect. That's fair. <laughs> but in the best con artist problem ever, um, while he was there, he encountered somebody who already knew him from the first Trappist monastery. Wow. So he fled. Amazing. To a third Trappist monastery. <laughs> oh, well, at least he didn't, like, have a break this time. He, he's a bit more dedicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then after the third Trappist monastery, he returned home. Right. Okay. What what made him leave the third Trappist monastery? I guess he realised he really shouldn't be a Trappist monk. After this, all the monasteries are different types of monasteries. Right. I think he gives up on Trappists. He keeps joining monasteries? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, now, his dad said that he should turn himself in yeah. as a deserter. Um, and he didn't want to do that. No, I think that's fair enough. Which is absolutely fair enough. Um, so, instead... Under his fake name, he joined the Navy. Okay. And in the Navy, he was accepted as a hospital corpsman. Right. And he got some basic medical training. This is the only medical training he ever received. How to put a plaster on. Well, due to his lack of education, he was not allowed to advance. So he couldn't get to be a proper doctor. Yeah, of course. Because... I think, yeah, he'd just never been to university. I'm I'm still not sure if he'd completed high school. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was too busy trying to join monasteries. Yeah. So he created a set of fake documents to say that he already had the needed uh, college qualifications in order to get into medical school. Right. But then because these worked, (laughs) he was like, well, going to medical school and he tried to get a commission as an officer instead with fake papers (laughs) so after everything after trying to be a monk after working in this children's home after trying to join the army yeah turns out what he's really good at is forgery yes he's really good at well actually no he's not because (laughs) (laughs) okay he's just really lucky with forgery he's pretty lucky with forgery when his falsified papers were discovered He faked his own suicide. Oh, my God. And fled. Wow. And at this point, he met somebody else whose name he stole. Amazing. This was Robert Linton French, who was a psychologist. Excellent. So he took on the name of Robert Linton French and claimed to be a religion-oriented psychologist. Wow. And under that persona, he tried to join, I've just put down here, a succession of Benedictine monasteries. (laughs) (laughs) There were too many of them. But Benedictine this time. Oh, he's branching out. But also, I don't... Which one's stricter, Trappists or Benedict? I have no idea. I don't know either. But actually, this worked out for him because the Benedictine monasteries tend to uh, value education. Right. And so he made a good life for himself because he started working for a Catholic college called Gannon College in Pennsylvania. Right. And he got made Dean of the School of Philosophy. Wow, okay. And while he was there, he taught general psychology, 
industrial psychology and abnormal psychology. And he also published a booklet titled How to Bring Up Your Child, which was well received. But he doesn't know anything. No, he doesn't know anything. He knows everything from speed reading and having a really good memory. (laughs) I really want to know what his lectures were like. I really want to know if it's like... Some of them, really good, because, you know, he sped read the topic. And others, (laughs) he just kind of, he's a bit vague, kind of waffly, sort of talking around the subject. And after about an hour, it's like, you feel you've learned something, but you couldn't possibly say what it is. Well, I mean, some people, I reckon you could probably get away with doing exactly that and then telling them to read pages whatever of their (laughs) book, right? I mean, that's, that's a very American idea. Like, I... I don't remember in my time at university ever being told, you know, read chapters one to two. No, we weren't told that. I mean, that you had the required reading stuff, but that was often articles as well, rather than like pages X to Y. (laughs) Yeah, it it, was usually articles on JSTOR. JSTOR. Love it. Favourite thing. (laughs) I've got LexisNexis now. Ooh. (laughs) I'm just putting up with the fact that JSTOR lets you have 100 articles per year for free, which is, you know, more than I need. Yeah, fair enough. So he left Gannon College after what was titled An Unfortunate Incident Involving Forged Checks. (laughs) Well, he wants to branch out with his forgery. Absolutely he does. You know, he's done qualifications. Why not checks? In, in any case, I want it to be pointed out that this is the only time that his forgery or his um, like general criminality seems to go anywhere near money. Right. Most of the time, he is conning people into believing that he is certain people. Yeah. Just so that he can have pow- like a powerful job. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess it's indirectly, you know money oriented but yeah it's not passing a bad check well a lot of the time it's like tricking people into letting him become a monk so i guess there's not even actually any money involved there there is that too (laughs) um weirdly he still kept working as a teacher at colleges right until 1945 okay and this was the end of the war but at this point the fbi caught him for deserting the army in the first place wow (laughs) right that must have been an impressive catch. Right? Because he's changed name like two times. And, and he's also done so many different things. I know. He's gone to so many monasteries. He's He keeps moving all around the country yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, no, they caught him and they gave him a six-year sentence for desertion. Damn. Um, of which he served 18 months because of his excellent behaviour. Oh, fantastic. And the fact that some papers arrived saying that he should be released early. Yes. No one questioned them. No one questioned <laughs> Questioned that they were written in his handwriting. Signed, the president. Not even whatever the president's <laughs> name was at the time. Truman, maybe? I don't uh, know. I... So, after getting out, he obviously created a new identity. Of course. And he enrolled in college to study law. Right. Yay. Yay. He's a fellow spirit. Yay. Except that he got bored studying law. Yeah, fair. And gave himself a PhD. <laughs> Amazing. So he became Dr. Cecil Hammond. And as Dr. Cecil Hammond, he took up a teaching post at the Brothers of Christian Instruction in Maine. 
Oh, so he's keeping the religious element still. Yeah. Now, as a bit of a side note to this episode, um, he decided that this order needed to become more prominent by founding a college. Okay. So he suggested they found a college, which they did. Right. Um, it's co- it was called Laminet College, and he got really upset because he didn't get any positions of power in yeah. this college and left. Um, but this one moved to Ohio and eventually became Walsh University, which still exists to this day. <laughs> Set up by a con man. Yes. I wonder how much information they have about him, like, readily available. They don't. I had a look at their really? websites. They oh. were like, oh, we got set up by the Brothers of Christian Instruction. And I was like, sure. Yeah, okay. Oh, God. I mean, what a missed opportunity there. <laughs> I, I know. Feel, I feel like if it... I guess it's probably it would be more of a British thing, that sort of self-deprecating thing, where it's like... Hey, come to our university. We were set up by a con man. It's a really long and interesting history. But yeah, he was a fraud. Well, I think that the um I think Walsh University is still very religious and still quite small. Like I looked at their websites right, and see. they talked about how this small group of men first walked into these hallowed halls in order to okay. start a new way, etc. So I don't think they really want to go okay, into this. So so they've got a bit of a um Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not identity crisis. <laughs> they're kind of... They're, they, they want to focus on the good, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not big enough to kind of go, yeah, we're a bit shit. <laughs> I think there's only like 200 people there. Yeah. Two, it's a very small university anyway. Fair enough. So, while he was at the Brothers of Christian Instruction, he met Dr. Seer. Ah, I've been waiting for him to turn up. Every time a new name's come up, he's like, is it going to be Dr. Seer? Is it? No, 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 no. He's finally here. Hooray. So Dr. Sear apparently was moving to the US to set up a medical practice. Yeah. And needing help with the immigration paperwork, Sear gave all his identifying documents to Demara. Oh, no. Who offered to fill in the application for him. Wow. After the two men parted ways, Demara took copies of Sear's paperwork (laughs) and moved up to Canada. And then he approached the Canadian Navy with an ultimatum. He said... Make me an officer or I will join the army. (laughs) If the people of the water will not have me, I will join the people of the land. Exactly. And they didn't want to lose a trained doctor. No, absolutely. So they fast-tracked his application. A trained doctor monk psychologist, lawyer. No, no, no. This is Dr. Sear, remember? Dr. Sear. Oh, yes. He's just a trained doctor. I know, but (laughs) come on, throw in the others for free. (laughs) So then we get to him having his time in Korea. Yeah. Now, he did get chucked out of the Navy immediately after being discovered to be an imposter. That makes sense. Which is very, very understandable. Yeah. But his story got was got hold of by Life magazine, who oh. thought he was fascinating. That makes sense. And they made him the front cover. <laughs> Did they call him Dr. Seer? That would have been amazing. They didn't. They gave him a new title. Oh, my God. The Great Imposter. Wow. Yes. So he sold this story in 1952. And in 1961, a movie was made by the same name, Ah. which had Tony Curtis playing him. Oh, you know, I do think I've heard of that. That would make sense. Apparently, Tony Curtis said that this was his favourite role he'd ever played. And I think it did quite well. Mm, Fair enough. They also changed the ending a little bit to make it cool. That makes sense. You want want like a narrative ending. It seems pretty accurate, actually, which is interesting. I mean, to be fair, it sounds mad as it is. Oh, yeah. 
Um, unfortunately for Fred, his fame meant that it became much more difficult for him to con people. Yeah. So three years after selling his life story to Life magazine, he did try it again. Right. I think it was quite difficult for him to quit. Like, it yeah. seems to have been quite easy for him to do this. And he seems almost compulsive at this stage. Mm. He's got a compulsion to fake his identity and join monasteries. Well, this one's different. Right. Uh, he got the paperwork for a Ben W. Jones. Right. And he worked as a prison guard in Huntersville in Texas. Oh, that is different. It is. Um, but one of the prisoners found the Life magazine article. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And they showed the cover picture of him to the prison officials. So, obviously, he fled. Yeah. He got caught, and he served six months in prison. (laughs) Wow. But after this, he seems to have settled down and had a reasonably okay life. Oh, okay. Um, He made some guest appearances in some TV quiz shows. Right. And he was also in a horror film called The Hypnotic Eye, in which he plays an actual hospital doctor. I've heard of that. Have you? I have. Oh, God. Yes, I do know this one because the poster for it is fantastic. It is. I've seen the poster. Oh, you've seen it. I was about to show it to you. (laughs) But yeah, it is. It's a thing of beauty. I mean, it sounds absolute trash. Oh, yeah. Also, when you look at the list of people who perform in it, I think it's like five people and he's on it. Yeah. As like a doctor who turns up once. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But he gets to play a real doctor. So I think Uh. he enjoyed that. And he's, well, I mean, he gets to basically do what he's done for part of his life, which yeah. is pretend to be a doctor. <laughs> I know. Um, so he had some on and off moments with trying to be a normal, regular person. Okay. Obviously, people were still a bit suspicious of him. As you would be. But the problem, the thing was that he was very likable. And this was one of the reasons why he had been so successful. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, one of the things he said was that he always tried to create a role where there was no role before and expand into a vacuum Uh, that had space in it, basically. That that makes a lot of sense. So this is one of the reasons he never got caught was because he wasn't trying to push other people, Mm. or he rarely got caught. Um, He wasn't trying to push other people out of their positions. He wasn't creating any tension. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of the time, if he got a superior job, he'd let his um, workers do all the work for him, which they want, like they like to do because at the time, micromanaging was like a really big thing. Apparently, yeah, fair enough. So yeah, lots of people really liked him, <laughs> and eventually, in the 1970s, um, he got ordained under his own name. Really? Yeah. Okay. And from the late 1970s until his death in 1982, he worked as a visiting chaplain at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Anaheim, California. And he was well-liked by the patients, and he also delivered the last rites to his friend, Steve McQueen. That Steve McQueen? That Steve McQueen, the actor. Oh my god, amazing! How did he meet Steve McQueen? Because he was just hanging out in California at this point, (laughs) and I think Steve McQueen was suitably impressed. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice, though. I'm kind of glad that eventually he becomes a chaplain. Yeah. He clearly wanted to be one. It's just that he didn't really have the patience for it, I think. I mean, it's clear he was very religiously motivated. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't have tried to join all those monasteries or set up a Christian school or yeah. be what was it a christian psychologist or, yeah like so it does feel right that that's where he should end up and I'm, I'm happy like he's got he's got a nice ending to it that's actually quite a sweet story normally in this podcast we end with 
And then, of course, he died in poverty, miserable, <laughs> yeah. having, you know, run out of money. I'm not going to talk to you about instances of his death, but he seems to have made friends. And You, you made that sound so ominous. Oh, sorry. I just, I just don't want to. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, f*** me, I guess. <laughs> Well, I can if you want, but it's just, it's sad because he dies. Oh, no, that's fair enough. (laughs) Well, I'm now, I'm now not sure. Are you keeping it from me? Did he actually die in poverty? Well, sort of. Um, He was looked after by the people who owned the Good Samaritan Hospital. Right. To the extent that they let him live there and stay with him and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's not so bad. We've had worse on this podcast. We've had worse on this podcast. We definitely have. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, you shouldn't be worried about that at all. Okay. Give me them sweet deets in future. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Them sweet death deets. (laughs) But anyway, I just thought he would be an interesting person to talk about because... I guess normally con men are kind of interesting anyway, but they're usually interested in money. And this one's kind of different because what he's doing isn't really hurting anyone it's like definitely illegal yeah and it could have hurt people. it could have hurt people but it didn't i mean it, it seems more like he's kind of after the prestige rather than the money yeah i mean obviously some money comes along with that but it seems that he just kind of he does just kind of want to be respected yeah and doesn't want to do any work towards no. that <laughs> for whatever reason i bet he was a fascinating individual to talk to i'm sure he was <laughs> Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter, for the time being, at That Time When <laughs> For, and you can suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to help support us, the best thing you can do is give us a shout out on your social media app of choice. And thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's put in this podcast. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and join a succession of monasteries. Bye!